Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Indeed, today is the day. Today is the day the Lord has made. We are rejoicing. We are glad in it. That uh, does not dismiss the fact that, um, wow, the world is uh, a bit on fire in many places. And maybe it is on fire right where you are. Um, Maybe there is an inflamed relationship. Maybe uh, you are facing a week that you know is going to be really challenging for one reason or another. Um, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, in addition to our expectation that this week the House of Representatives will issue formal um, articles of impeachment against the President of the United States, this is also a critical week for uh, global trade. We will be watching headlines related to that. I know it's critically important to those of you who are farm families across the upper Midwest of the United States of America. Um, I mean, certainly the headline related to as the country grows less religious, the country also grows less charitable. For those of us who work for charitable organizations like this one, we are going to be looking this week for uh, those of you who appreciate this ministry to join join the team if you have not and give uh, generously if you are in a position to do so. This is going to be um, the, the week during which we at Faith Radio uh, ask our friends to uh, to give at year end to help us end well and start well in the new year. I do want to highlight the volcanic eruption off of a small island in New Zealand and acknowledge that it is a place where many Western tourists were disembarked at the time that the volcano erupted. Um, And we we certainly, I mean, if you've ever been on a cruise and you've ever disembarked on a small island, maybe in the Caribbean, um, it's already a place you're not familiar with. And uh, and your little uh, floating world may be a place you cannot even get back to. And so if you find yourself in some sort of crisis like uh, dealing with, I mean, in this case, the eruption of a volcano, but you could imagine being in a situation where there was an earthquake or some other disruptive event, just how frightening that would be. And so uh, I want us to be lifting up particular prayers today for everyone involved, the people who live on this little island um, who are now providing whatever kind of aid and hospitality they can to the uh, thousands of people who uh, have disembarked from cruise ships there and are now trying desperately probably to return to their little floating islands of paradise. Um, and then for those cruise ship company operators, certainly for those who are already known to be dead following the volcanic eruption, but also for the many, many people currently unaccounted for. Uh, I also want to lift up to you, I mean, uh, Ocracoke Island off of the coast of North Carolina is actually small and similar to this island off of New Zealand in terms of its remote nature and its dependence on tourism. More than three months ago now, uh, Ocracoke Island was absolutely decimated by uh, by a hurricane. And only just this week did the the road, which is the artery that actually provides the lifeblood for this 
remote little community. Only this week did North Carolina 12, which is the two-lane road that leads out to Ocracoke Island, um, only this week did that road reopen. It's important to recognize that there are small communities of people. I mean, the people who actually live on this island number something like 400. And so, uh, but the hospitality that they provide to literally hundreds of thousands of people who visit this island in order that they can enjoy the North Carolina Outer Banks and the beauty of that place um, you know, these are people who are sort of in a hospitality ministry year round and they live there um, and their schools are not reopened yet following the hurricane. Many of them, uh, you know, do, their homes were destroyed. So anyway, let's just be praying for our neighbors. I mean, I think it's easy for us to pray in the midst of the crisis. And then we 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 tend to forget we move back into the patterns of our own life. And I totally understand that. But just wanted to make us mindful of those folks uh, out there on that Outer Banks Island as well. Maybe you've got a family member or a friend, maybe a, a fellow, you know, like a, like a church that you're familiar with in another community that, that really for 20, in 2019, they were hit really hard by something. Maybe we should be mindful of them today. Let's awaken the generosity of our prayers and the generosity of our spirits as we enter into this new week of Advent in great anticipation of the Lord's coming. When we come back, we're going to talk about the fact that today is December the 9th, the ninth day of Advent, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. My conversation there just, uh, I mean, actually made me think what what have been the big news stories of 2019 that we might want to circle back around and check on, uh, check on what's happening. So if you have something in mind and you say, hey, I heard you talk about this once, love to hear you circle back around on that. Uh, Paul and I are always open to your listener comments and considerations and curiosities. You can send those to us via text message at 877-933-2484. Again, that's 877-933-2484. You can always email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. Okay, today is December the 9th. It is the ninth day of Advent, and so we are in Luke chapter 9. Hopefully over the weekend you spent some time in Luke chapters uh, 7 and 8. I would encourage you to consider how those chapters are related. Consider how those chapters are related. Who is Jesus talking to in chapter 7? And then what is he doing in chapter 8? Um, and how are those two things related? That'll be my, um, that'll, that'll be my curiosity lesson for Luke chapters uh, 7 and 8, because they are, they, they are intimately related to one another. All right, in this chapter, in Luke chapter 9, we have the sending out of the 12 disciples. Remember, Jesus has spent time uh, overnight praying one night, and then that next day he selected 12 disciples whom he then called apostles. Well, here he sends, uh, he calls the 12 together. He gives them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases. Now, how that happens, we're not quite sure, uh, because obviously the Holy Spirit is not fully dispensed upon the church until Acts chapter 2, following the ascension of Jesus into heaven, which follows his resurrection, which follows his crucifixion. And this is uh, at the very beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter 9. And so he's sending out the 12. He sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He tells them, quote, 
take nothing for the journey, no staff. And by that, he doesn't mean like, um, you know, you can't take your executive producer. You can't take uh, the guy that runs the board. No, no. No staff means, um, you know, like a walking stick. Right. So no staff, no bag. So no backpack, no shoulder bag, no purse. No. This is like that kind of economy flying where you're not allowed to take anything. All right. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Which, by the way, my mom, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm 51 years old. My mom still asks me if, if I depart her company, like we're physically together somewhere. When we depart, she always asks me the same question. Do you have a little traveling money? <laughs> she always makes sure I have a little bit of traveling cash, which mostly I don't normally have because I'm, you know, probably like most people now, uh, <clears throat> kind of bound to plastic. All right. And then she and then he says no extra shirt. All right. So no change of clothes, no money. Uh, No bread, no bag, no staff, take nothing. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Now, I just want you to um, just just here for a moment. I'm headed to the Twin Cities today um, for our end of the year winter share. And so if, if I just came knocking tonight and just said, you know, I need to stay in town for a few days on a ministry event. um, How would you respond to that? Because it says whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. I mean, are you ready for, I mean, in this case, it would only be like a three-day guest. But who knows how long these disciples would have been planning to stay. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so they set out and they went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now, the next part of um, of the of Luke I find this fascinating. Herod the Tetrarch. So we're talking here about a person in uh, kind of like the level of a governor. All right. Um, He is one of the three people. He's a Tetrarch. There's three of them who have some political responsibility in the region. Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. He was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Now, what does Herod know about John? Well, he knows he had John beheaded. So can't be John, right? Others say this guy, who we know as Jesus, is Elijah. Elijah has appeared. Well, that means the fulfillment of everything that the Jews have been counting on. Every time they celebrate uh, the Passover, there's an empty seat. Who's that empty seat saved for? It's saved for Elijah. Um, and Elijah is going to be the one who comes you know, prior to the Messiah. Now, what they have right here is that John the Baptist is actually uh, the, the person who is in the role of Elijah in this um, announcement and preparation ministry. So Elijah, in a sense, has appeared because John has appeared, and John is the one preparing the way for the Lord. Still others said it's one of the prophets of long ago come back to life. Okay, in any, you know, at any level, this is an interesting dude. And so Herod says, now I beheaded John, so this can't be John. Who then is this I hear such things about? Who is this? And he tried to see him. Now it's curious that the language there is tried tried to see him, um, must have been challenging for guys like Herod to gain access um, to a, a person who had, by this point in time, become so popular that in the very next story, 5,000 men, which was probably more like 9,000 people, are all gathered together, not only to hear Jesus, um, but to sit under his teaching for many, many hours. And that is then when we have the feeding of the 5,000. All right, we are going to return to uh, the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke in just a moment, because what we get next is Jesus 
um, asking basically Herod's question to the disciples. So the question that I would encourage you to be looking for as you're reading the Gospel of Luke is this question, who is this? Who is this that commands the wind and the waves? Who is this that can boss demons around? Who is this that forgives sins? Herod's version of the question, who is this uh, whom I'm hearing such things about? Uh, And then Jesus is going to turn the question in just a minute and say, all right, who are the crowds saying that I am? How are people answering that question? And then he is going to ask the question directly of the disciples. Who do you say that I am? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. O come, O come, Emmanuel. God, be with us. Well, that's exactly what happened in the coming of Jesus Christ in the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, what we anticipate during this season of Advent, that for which we are preparing ourselves even now. And so we are in the ninth chapter of the gospel according to Luke on this ninth day of Advent. And if you haven't uh, begun If you haven't entered into Advent in an intentional way, join us in reading a chapter of the Gospel of Luke every day of Advent. It actually lines up Luke 1, December 1, Advent Day 1. So there you go. So uh, we are today in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I just want to say a couple more things about this before we pivot to what I think is probably the most important um, headline of the day in terms of um, you and I as Christians in the United States of America. And so we have uh, Jesus turning the question to the disciples, uh, who do the crowds say that I am? Now, this is sort of like a man on the street interview, right? Who do the, what are you hearing out there? What are people saying about me? And they give the answers that are already enumerated earlier in the chapter in terms of what Herod is hearing that people are saying. And so the disciples reply to Jesus, this is in the 19th verse, they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, which, you know, there would have been a family resemblance. There would have obviously been Um, similar teaching. However, everybody knows, I mean, John has been beheaded at this point in the story. And John um, clearly said of himself, I'm not the guy. Uh, I am preparing the way for the guy. And in fact, that's the guy. Um, You know, and he, I mean, he's the behold the lamb. Uh, I mean, that's that's John saying about Jesus, behold, the lamb of God uh, who takes away the sins of the world. He gave, I mean, he transferred essentially his own disciples to Jesus. So clearly not John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, That's an interesting consideration for particularly the Jews of the day. And still others, one of the prophets of long ago, come back to life. So they are echoing what we have already heard, Herod uh, having heard about who this is. Herod asked the questions, "Who, who is this? Jesus now turning the question to the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? I want to pause right there because that's the most critical question that any one of us is ever going to answer in our entire life. You are never going to answer a more important question than Jesus asking you, who do you say I am? Somebody's going to, you know, possibly ask you one day to marry marry them, or you are maybe one day going to ask someone to marry you. Uh, not as, that, that question's not as important. Someday you are going to be asked a question um, about receiving some kind of either life-extending medical treatment or allowing... Uh, or allowing your physical life to end at a natural in a natural way. Not as important a question as this one. Although, all of those questions are related to this one. 
For marriage is uh, something that is holy and sacred and eternal and God-designed and something that God is in. And certainly when we talk about life and its beginning and its end, something about which, uh, in which God is intimately involved and something about which God is intimately concerned. And your answer to the question about whether or not you might, uh, it might be amenable to you that it's as good to be dead as alive if you're in Christ, which is the conviction of the Apostle Paul. Uh, because to live means we have more opportunity to share Jesus with others, but to die means we get to be with him. That it changes absolutely every other moment of your life when you answer the question in the way that Peter answers the question. Jesus asked directly, who do you say that I am? You will never in your life be asked, nor will you answer a more important question. So I'm just going to ask you right now, who do you say Jesus is? And have you come up with your own answer to that question or some cultural answer to that question or some answer that you know, works so that nobody else's feelings are ever hurt by your answer? Or have you settled on the truth, which is where Peter lands? Peter answers, God's Messiah. Jesus affirms that Peter is right. And the world changes from this moment forward for the disciples. We begin uh, then receiving Jesus's passion predictions. He outlines the cost of discipleship, Um, And I commend to you the rest of Luke chapter 9 to your reading and study today. I want to spend a couple of minutes here introducing a piece of legislation that um, was just proposed on Friday. Now, first of all, when a piece of legislation is introduced late Friday afternoon in the season of Advent, you pretty much know that the lawmakers introducing it know it is dead on arrival because they really don't want a lot of people talking about it, which is precisely why we must talk about it. Uh, It's called the Fairness for All Act, and it was introduced on Friday. It is designed to amend the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to include what is called SOGI, sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes. It also um, purports to provide some protection of religious freedom. So on the positive side, this legislation would include exceptions or exemptions for medical providers who have religious objections to providing uh, what are known as transition procedures like sex reassignment surgery to transgender, uh, to people who identify as transgender. The bill would also limit limit um, transgender access to some gender specific spaces such as bathrooms. The bill would also protect certain freedoms uh, for some religious organizations, highlight there some such as churches, adoption, foster care services, educational institutions like the one I serve, the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And so all of that sounds good, right? Well, before you get your hopes up, I want you to consider and think about um, some of the competing realities and the bottom line here. First of all, who gets to define fairness and who gets to define all of the terms involved in the fairness for all um, legislation? Uh, And the answer to that question is LGBTQ activists get to define all of that, which means that going forward, codified into federal law would be definitions of sex and gender and sexual orientation, and they would become protected classes. And those definitions would be subject to change as the LGBTQ lobby continues to evolve and that alphabet soup continues to grow. You have to think about that when you think about this legislation. The other thing you have to think about is all of those of us uh, who maybe work as Christians, like in the in the world, unrelated to 
the specific religious institutions that are protected. There is a literally a handful of protected institutions in this act. Everyone else is literally left hung out to dry. Every other Christian operating in every other field is not protected by this legislation. So does it protect some? Yes. Does it protect some for some period of time? Yes. Is it subject to change? Yes. As the evolution and devolution as LGBTQ continues to evolve, so too will the government's definition of these terms and therefore um, the definition of protected class and the definition of discrimination against said protected class by everyone not expressly exempted in the legislation. Now, um, it's not going to pass. Let me just start by saying that it's not going to pass because there are a lot of Christians opposed to it. There are also a lot of LGBTQ activists opposed to it. Why? Because it doesn't go far enough. They already have the Equality Act before Congress, and that's what they want. They want the Equality Act. They don't want the Fairness for All Act. They want the Equality Act. And so keep that in mind that, that LGBTQ activists do not believe this proposal, Fairness for All, goes far enough. Many Christians say this goes too far. This is giving away um, the religious freedom protections currently in place in federal law. And so we are going to continue this conversation not only with Peter Kapsner in just a moment, but trust me when I tell you, we will be returning to this subject at length um, because this is going to be critical legislation going forward, not only for us to know a lot about, but for us to weigh in on. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We'll be back in just a moment. Returning now to a conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner that we actually started last week. Uh, Peter, welcome back. Oh, oh my gosh. See, now, Paul Perot, thank you so much. I'm ahead of myself. I'm like five minutes early. <laughs> In the next segment, we're going to be talking with Dr. Peter Kapsner in a follow-up to a conversation that we had last week. We got so much listener feedback about this one particular segment that um, Peter and I felt compelled to get back together and actually talk about these common um, statements that drive decision-making in church and culture related to LGBTQ um, conversations. And so thank you for those of you who reached out after that conversation and said, hey, I need more on that. I have issues in my own family. I have issues in the classroom where I'm serving as a public school teacher. I have issues in my work environment. Please, please, please help us. Uh, Peter is going to be here next, and we're going to talk about that. I got a little ahead of myself. We'll be right back. When life is spinning out of control, sometimes you wonder if God has overlooked you. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Most of us would rather avoid pain than embrace it. But at the heart of every struggle, there's something we can gain. For instance, the problems you face at home right now might give you a whole new empathy for others. Maybe God's using this season to humble you. Psalms 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there is any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the paths of righteousness. Are you and your teen in a different place? Remember, in God's economy, there's always a purpose in the pain. Even in your darkest hours, He hasn't overlooked you. He's right beside you. Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com. 
Returning uh, today is Peter Kapsner. Peter and I had a conversation. Uh, Peter's a professor at the University. Mm-hmm. He's a professor at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. One of the courses that he teaches is on human sexuality, obviously from a biblical worldview. Um, and so Peter and I were talking last week on air about the challenges posed in the culture today by let's just describe them as uh, people who are advocating for sexual identities and sexual ethics that are very different from that which we um, understand to be God's design for us and God's best for us as revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We had a ton of listener feedback related to this, and uh, and we had people asking very direct questions like, um, hey, I heard Peter on the show Um, Peter talked about having done hours of research on this issue from lots of different angles. Um, Can I get some of that? Is that available to the public? And I thought to myself, well, if one listener is asking for it in that direct of a way, and we had other listeners who ask in uh, in more like, I need it for this particular purpose kind of way, I thought we would just bring Peter on and he and I would talk about um, some of the cultural statements that are made uh, related to the LGBTQ Um, reality in which we now all live, and our response to that as Christians. We cannot cover them all today, uh, and we will do so maybe over the course of time in the coming weeks, but I thought we would start down the list today. Peter, welcome back. Great to be with you, Carmen. Driving through the snow and ice here in Minneapolis. You're you're coming in tonight, right, through the the cold from Tennessee? It's going to be bitter tomorrow. Supposedly, supposedly. (laughs) Well, good to be with you. Military vehicle at the airport driving me would be helpful, something. (laughs) We'll make sure it happens. Paul and I will be there. So, all right. So um, we're going to approach it this way because this is the way that you are um, kind of addressing it. And that is in terms of building a foundation for the kinds of conversations that young people and the rest of us need to have in the culture today. Um, And so I just want to start with cultural statement number one. And and we're just going to work our way down a few of these. I know we won't get to all of them today. And so we'll circle back around. But I am hoping that for the listeners who wanted more Um, This is going to be helpful. So here's cultural statement number one. The church, or just Christians, have been filled with hatred and bullying of uh, of gays or the gay community or LGBTQ people, however you want to frame that. So just filled with hatred and bullying. Therefore, we must correct that with um, total inclusion. Yeah. How do you respond? Yeah. So these statements, Carmen, they were generated uh, over the last couple of years as I was talking with students about what seems to be driving the conversation in terms of our decision making in the church and in families and in friends as a culture. And this, of course, is one of the biggest ones that I hear as an understandable objection. But there isn't the the logical confusion. Uh, conclusion that derives from this idea that the church has been bullying and hating towards the gay community, which I think in fairness, when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, there was a lot of pretty rubbish things that the church was saying about the gay community. And uh, we certainly have that history that we're dealing with. But the pendulum has swung over the last uh, 10, 12 years away from that to saying we're going to just swing it all the way to the other side where we're not even going to evaluate any longer what constitutes uh, godly or kingdom behavior. We're not going to wonder what is a healthy and shalom way of life. We're just going to say we have to stop doing the hatred and the bullying. And and the way we're going to do that is to make sure that everybody's included in the community. And again, I think that's an understandable remedy, but it isn't uh, a kingdom remedy. And uh, by that, I mean, it doesn't logically derive that inclusion should be the remedy for uh, all of the bullying. In fact, 
I think uh, we can safely say that maybe there's some other approaches here, and one of which would be something that I have to do in my class on a really regular basis and in churches as I'm meeting with them is is helping to redefine love. And I and I had to do it in my own life, but what I mean by that is is love usually is synonymous with inclusion. So you really only have one of two choices today. You can either be a hater like we've been in the past, or you could be like Jesus who loves, which means that you include. And the problem with that is that biblical love doesn't have anything to do with inclusion. Biblical love has to do with a tender-hearted affection for another human being in which you might just be willing to give up all of what you think you're entitled to so that they can be whole, so that they can experience the shalom of the soul. Everything can be healed. And, and that's that agape kind of ahava love of the biblical text. And in fact, that kind of love, Carmen, actually demands some measure of exclusion. It excludes those things that actually are not bringing shalom to the soul. It excludes those things that are actually harmful for us. And so love is this sort of this passionate drive towards wholeness because God actually wants that for us. And then from there, we can talk about, so why isn't uh, walking in a gay lifestyle part of God's wholeness and all of those sorts of things? But the point of number one is to try to just sort of step back for a second and say, hang on, we are simply creating a remedy of inclusion, but that's inconsistent with the kingdom in which love actually does exclude certain behaviors simply because God actually wants us to be whole. So I had this uh, conversation just yesterday with a friend at church um, who has a young college student. And, you know, in that environment, in that town, this uh, young woman has found a church, I'm going to use that word here, that is um, LGBTQ affirming. Right. Um, in fact, uh, non-binary affirming. And so this this young woman raised in a Christian family, having gone to, you know, obviously raised in a Christian church, on and on and on, is now fully allied there's the language, fully allied of this totally inclusive community that is abandoning um, Scripture and Scripture's teaching because she wants to be inclusive in her relationships. Right. So right. when kids go to college, this is a real issue for them. It if is. They don't understand, if they don't understand that love, um, that the grace of God does not abandon the holiness of God, you can't have grace without holiness. Well, and and yeah, so anyway, no, I, I think that it's critical. It's an incredible point, and you're you're referencing it well again. Just to to continue to emphasize all of these synonyms that really sound good, like inclusion and affirmation and endorsement and allies with all of those sorts of things, but none of those things, Carmen, are actually synonymous with love. And uh, as you just referenced again. Uh, God's holiness isn't because he wants us to just sort of like step back and always say, you're amazing, you're incredible, uh, you're perfect, we're not, all of these sorts of things. God's holiness is shining a beautiful way of life into our lives through his love that then calls us and compels us to actual wholeness. And I'll I'll say this, you know, we judge things by their fruit in God's kingdom. And we are now four years into the full embrace, ally, endorsement, all of this language around it. And my young people that I'm dealing with, uh, you know, 100 out of whack here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul, the fruit of that has been increasing confusion, increasing turmoil, increasing anxiety, increasing uncertainty. And so all of these words that sound so good are actually creating havoc as opposed to what God's love uh, could be and could mean for people's lives. All right, Peter Capster and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Uh, For those of you who are reading through the Gospel of Luke with us, we have just recently read Luke chapter 6, where we get the statement 
about judging not, lest ye be judged. Uh, judgment is a big part of this. Who are you to judge? That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Um, Peter, here's the question. Who are you to judge? Jesus said, you know, judge not lest ye be judged, and therefore we must not judge other people, um, but instead embrace, you know, whatever choices they're making in their own life um, or this broad concept of inclusion. How, as a Christian, do I respond to that? Yeah, that I think was one of the first ones that was easily identifiable as I was talking with the students about some of the different objections a couple years ago. And, and of course, that's the worst thing you want to be labeled, right? is to be a judgmental person, to be a judgmental Christian, and you can't judge me, and who are you to judge? And all of that language, which, again, is understandable, given some of the treatment of people in uh, in the gay and lesbian community. But uh, what's interesting about that is I, I'll walk into class and tell my students that I hope I am the most judgmental person that you ever meet, and I hope that you are the uh, that I am the least judgmental person that you'll ever meet. And it, it's interesting because they get knocked off balance a little bit. They get a little disruptive, and they're saying, "What What are you saying by that?" And I read a great article. I don't remember the site uh, of it a couple of years ago, but was really digging into the Greek language of the New Testament in which the New Testament was originally written, and what the author was pointing out. And then I subsequently verified it through research as well was that there are actually two different forms of judgment in the biblical text. And one of the forms of judgment Christians are to constantly do and constantly practice. The other form of judgment we are to never do. And so when Jesus is saying in in the sixth chapter of Luke that you just referenced there, do not judge lest you too be judged, he's using a very specific Greek word in this uh, moment that is the judgment of condemnation. It's, It's a judgment of sort of a finalization of somebody's status. And the Pharisees were doing that all the time in first century Jewish culture, where they would look at somebody who was sick, they would look at somebody who was maybe um, diseased in in some ways, like with leprosy, they would look at people who are poor, who are on the outside, who are blind, and the Pharisees judged them as already being condemned. They, They were people who are outside of God's kingdom, and they will forever be outside of God's kingdom. Sometimes people do that uh, with people who continue to persist in sin in their life is there's this sense of judgment. There's no hope and no future for you. This is the woman who was caught in adultery when she's chucked into the middle of the Pharisees with Jesus and they're going to stone her. She's experiencing the judgment of condemnation. There is no future for her in, in that situation. And Jesus says, don't you dare ever judge people in that way, because in my beautiful kingdom, regardless of what's going on in the present, there is always hope and always future. If somebody's just willing to turn, if somebody's just willing to, from the pigsty of the prodigal son, son turn their face back towards their father, uh, you can be welcomed back into God's kingdom. That was the kind of inclusion that Jesus practiced, was not just, hey, let's all celebrate everybody's way of life. It was, you can come back into the kingdom through repent, repentance and, and transformation. And so he says, don't you ever judge somebody as outside of the kingdom beyond the pale in that way. Now, there is another form of judgment that we are called to practice as Christians, and that is the judgment of discernment. It's the judgment of the letters of John, for example. First, John talks about discerning things, and we are constantly as Christians called to judge or discern those ways of life that are consistent with God's kingdom versus those ways of life that are inconsistent with God's kingdom. And again, the reason we do that 
is not because we're having to prove something to some big angry being in the sky, but because we want to be able to walk in the wonderful, beautiful wholeness that is part of God's kingdom. And so we need to discern, is this way of life? Is what I'm doing, is how I'm acting, are these things going to bring further wholeness to me and to the people around me? Or is it going to be something that uh, wreaks havoc in my life and in the lives of those around me? So all of that is to say, Carmen, that I hope I'm the most judgmental person and that I'm capable of discerning what is consistent with God's kingdom. And I hope I'm the least judgmental person in the sense that I approach uh, almost everybody, and I don't do this all the time, but I would hope I can approach almost everybody I meet through the lens of forbearance and patience and compassion and uh, and playing the long game with them, uh, inviting them to turn and to repent and to walk back towards their heaven, heavenly father. So you used some terms in there that I think are really critical. Um, <clears throat> the the term wholeness and uh, and then, you know, you also talked about, you know, those things, those behaviors, those life choices that wreak havoc in our lives and in the lives of others. Um, I think that that is better language than the language that we often um, get, that we often trip over, which is the sin language. Yeah. So I, I find people who don't want the sin language ever used, and then they swing right back around the other direction and say, Jesus, you know, Jesus welcomed sinners. Jesus loved sinners. Who are you to ever <laughs> exclude anyone? And then I'm thinking, well, um, aren't you in your very statement acknowledging this is sin? What we are talking about is sin. So address this, um, address, and I know we don't have a lot of time to do this, but I'm hoping we can talk about this third um, cultural statement and then, you know, you and I are going to have to obviously circle back around to this at a later date. Um, but Jesus welcomed sinners. Jesus ate with sinners. He shared fellowship with them. So, you know, who are you to uh, exclude anyone? This is this needs to be an inclusive church. Yeah, there's two parts about that. And, and we can address this at another segment as well at some point. But you referenced one of them is that it already acknowledges that the behavior is sinful. And so there's many people in the sort of LGBTQ community that are advocating that it is uh, an appropriate way of life according to God's kingdom and the metrics that, of course, God would want this for us. But at the same time, we'll say, but Jesus welcomes all sinners to the table. And so there's this kind of logical inconsistency. Is it sinful or is it not? So that's the first thing. But I think the second thing that's really important about that statement and who Jesus welcomed to the table is he did welcome everybody. But if we're not careful, we're going to get a little confused that the end goal is actually inclusion. So you reference this church that is an affirming kind of church. The end goal in many churches these days is affirmation and inclusion. That is not the end goal. That might be the end goal of American culture values on some level where we all have sort of freedom and entitled to pursue happiness and all of that. But the end goal in God's kingdom is never inclusion. Inclusion serves as the function or the purpose to invite people to the table where a real savior, a real physician can bring healing and wholeness then in everybody's way of life, regardless of what the sin is. And so inclusion is the method towards wholeness. It's not the end goal, but boy, are we confused on that one these days. All right, Peter, there are, um, there's another, I don't know, 10 of these that we could talk about, but we're yeah. going to have to save. We're going to have to just maybe pace ourselves out um, <laughs> because I do think this is really helpful. This is the kind of equipping that I need in conversations that I'm having. I know it's equipping that my friend at church needs. We know it's equipping that um, listeners who've reached out uh, to us, it's what, uh, you know, so, and so, you know, I think that, and you know, it's the equipping that students need. So, um, I think we are, uh, we've got our finger on something here that I don't want to let loose of um, anytime soon. So can we circle back to the subject matter the next time we talk? Yeah, I'd love to, Carmen. It's so Great. fun to talk about with you. 
Great. Thank you so much. Um, all right. That is Dr. Peter Kapsner from the University of Northwestern St. Paul. Uh, and you, well, we'll be right back. we got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so what are the challenging questions or cultural statements that you hear that you would like some help answering, particularly in this um, in this <clears throat> arena of conversations related to SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity, or LGBTQ um, issues and concerns. Um, maybe you are challenged by cultural statements made in the workplace. Maybe you are challenged by cultural statements made at school. Maybe you are challenged by cultural statements ra- uh, raised in the political arena or even at your own church. Maybe you are in a church that has made a transition from uh, that which affirmed what Scripture says about these things to uh, to you know to a church or a denomination that now affirms um, the whole spectrum or array of of gender identities and sexual expressions. Um, what are your questions? Uh, I would love to hear those so that we can address them. Please text me at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four or email me Carmen at myfaithradio.com. Again, we would love to hear your questions so that we can address them directly. We got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.